Hi, everyone. This is Tom Salemi of Device Talks. Welcome to our second season of Medtronic Talks. In our first season, we spoke with the leaders of Medtronic's operating units to better understand the direction of each of the businesses. Now, with their courses set and clear, we're going to talk to the engineers, scientists, physicians, and other experts who are executing on these strategies. We'll still keep a tight focus on each of Medtronic's businesses, but we are going to get a lot deeper into these stories. Let's go. Hey, everyone. This is Tom Salami of Device Talks. Really happy to bring you this episode of Medtronic Talks. I had the chance to speak with Rashika Singhal. She's the president of Medtronic Labs, which is an entity I'd never heard of, but it's a nonprofit initiative that's conceived by Medtronic to design, build, and scale tech-powered healthcare delivery solutions. We're going to get into what they're doing, where they're doing it, and Rashika is an absolute delight to talk to. So I really enjoyed this conversation. Before we begin this episode, I want to bring in uh, a new pal of mine, Mike Manavukas. He is the CEO of Acuity MD. Acuity MD has a very cool new platform for medical device sales folks, but I'll let Mike Manavukas tell the story. Mike Manavukas, thanks for joining us. Tell us about Acuity MD. Thanks, Tom. AcuityMD is a software and data platform that accelerates access to medical technology. We were founded because we saw how difficult it was for med tech companies to gain visibility into their markets and to gain visibility into who uses their products on a daily basis. And at the same time, we saw the multitude of new data becoming increasingly available in the healthcare space. So we launched our first commercial product back in 2020, right at the start of COVID. And it was a targeting and CRM platform that helps med tech reps identify and predict new opportunities for their products and helps the commercial teams better forecast demand. That's great. We'll hear more from Mike Maravukas of Acuity MD a little later in the program. For more information, you can go to Acuity MD's website. It is acuitymd.com. Now, let's begin this episode of Medtronic Talks. Well, Rushika Singhal, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Great to talk to you today, Tom. I've been listening to you for a while. <laughs> I've been having a lot of fun with the, uh, with the podcast, and uh, it's really helped me understand Medtronic's businesses a lot better. And I'll have to say, your, your area, Medtronic Labs, is, is one that I was not familiar with. So while I've heard of the others and knew very little about them, at least I had heard them, I could pretend I knew something about them. In this case, I can plead complete ignorance and uh, walk through this interview with, uh, with wonder, because I'm, I'm excited to hear about what you do. But before we get there, I'd like to understand how you got here. How did you uh, find your way into the, into the medtech industry? I have grown up in Medtronic, Tom. <laughs> you. And I'm not joking. <laughs> so uh, I was 22 when I joined Medtronic right out of grad school. I did my master's in biomedical engineering and um, did campus interviews and ended up in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Wow. You went to biomedical engineering. So you, even prior to joining Medtronic, you were set upon a medtech career, correct? Yeah, so I'm from India originally, grew up there. Uh, parents wanted me to become a doctor, and I wanted to do just about anything except become a doctor. <laughs> you know, biomedical engineering was a nice compromise. <laughs> and uh, coming out of undergrad, my undergrad is in liberal arts, actually. And uh, 
from there, I was like, I need a track that'll at least get me a job and enable me to stay in the US. Um, but I mean, I loved BME, I think from the, the concept of it, um, the first time my dad mentioned it, and I was like, this is good, I want to do engineering. And this is the medical side of it. And I ended up at Johns Hopkins and came to Medtronic. So yeah, I have been in the medical device industry my whole life and career. That's fantastic. And a lot of people, I think, for one reason or another, start off with them on a medicine track and then veer into, into med device. And, and it makes perfect sense. So uh, what was your, was your first role at Medtronic? Were you uh, an engineer? I was a biomedical engineer in the neuro side of the business oh. in 2001. Right when DBS for Parkinson's was bilateral deep brain stimulation for Parkinson's disease was just approved. So I was on the technology side of it, like up, upstream technology side of it. And it was, um, I used to call it like the amazing days because everybody at that time had an idea for where to stick electrodes in the brain to solve some problem in the brain. And it felt like the ultimate frontier, you know, you're in neuroscience, the brain, we finally are going to solve all these neurological diseases. And I was 22 and I thought I was going to solve all of them. Um, <laughs> I spent a lot of those early years talking to every neurosurgeon neurologist on the planet and working with our technology teams to figure out how to translate all of that. And, you know, I look back on it now and it's like, I was so fortunate. Like, how did that even happen? You can't plan those things because it's not like I went and selected that. I just got placed in all the campus interviews and stuff like that. But um, yeah, so that's how I came to Medtronic. That's great. I remember covering this industry early in my mid-20s and writing about these startups that were going to work in these diseases. And I had in my head like, oh, thank God we've, we've figured that out. I won't have to worry about that when I'm 45 or 50. And sometimes yes, sometimes no. <laughs> well, we're still working through still some work. of the indications that we thought we were going to solve. <laughs> there are still some, still some opportunities left. So you didn't remain in engineering, though. You moved into like strategic planning and product planning. What was the is is, is that the same thing? Am I just misusing misusing terms, or or did you move into another part of the business? You know, I can't stick to one thing that I do currently. <laughs> My problem or, you know, I guess hidden skill for the past 20 plus years. But I think very early on, like in the first few months, I pretty much realized this engineering thing is not for me. <laughs> it's like, I really enjoyed talking to doctors. I really enjoyed talking to engineering. I even like talking to our regulatory and compliance people and really in marketing and really just figuring out how do you connect the dots on all of it which um, evolved into roles like product planning and strategic planning and all of that, because you just like went from, let me figure out what's the next lead that goes in the brain. What's the design of that to let me figure out the whole portfolio that we need to do for our leads that go in the brain, our spinal cord. And then let's just figure out the whole strategy for the business. And you just sort of grow into it. The titles change, but uh, you're kind of still connecting the dots and problem solving for where do we want to go um, and really combining those clinical understanding, technical complexity, you know, regulatory business, what do we need to do to make sure that we keep the, you know, revenue growing and all of that. Um, yeah. So it just evolved from one to the next to the next. So that's what I did till about 2008 and moved to a different business at that point, uh, mm -hmm. which is our 
surgical imaging and navigation business in Colorado. That's what brought me to Boulder. I used to be in Minneapolis before. That's uh, still kept doing a lot of the strategy thing. And somewhere in that time period uh, for that business, I realized that international is a good opportunity for us. This is like, you know, a long time before Medtronic truly was global in the way that we are today. That's how I transitioned into international market development. Oh, that's amazing. So did you remain in Boulder? Did you, did you travel or, or live in other parts of the world? We'll take a quick break from this really great conversation with Rashika to bring back Mike Matavukas of Acuity MD. Mike, how does Acuity MD work with medical device companies? We primarily work with the sales and marketing organization at med tech companies and offer them three key value propositions. The first is that we help sales teams increase pipeline. And to date, since our founding, we've helped the med tech industry generate over $2 billion in new pipeline from using Acuity MD. The second value proposition is helping sales reps increase their win rates. So we did a study and looked at the top 10 most active sales reps on Acuity MD. So these were sales reps that were logging in daily and using the platform multiple times a day as they went to target and call on, on surgeons. And those top 10 sales reps saw a 25% increase in sales since adopting the Acuity MD technology platform. The third big value proposition that we offer is helping med tech companies save time across the organization. So we can implement our software in a week. So that's one week to get your sales reps targeting and, and building pipeline in Acuity MD. And you know, in the process, we save a lot of the manual effort the reps spend on researching information and manually entering it into other systems as well. And, you know, we believe saving time kind of kickstarts this cursive cycle where the more time we save reps, the more time they have to go back and increase their pipeline and win more deals. And so everyone wins when you can save the sales organization time and give them a resource to build their pipeline. And finally, Mike, I understand you have some uh, really, really great news to report of late. You had a, a fundraiser. Tell us about it. Absolutely. We, we recently announced our, our $31 million Series A. That was led by Redpoint Ventures, which was a venture fund behind Snowflake and Stripe and some great enterprise businesses. And they joined our existing investors, Benchmark Capital, uh, who invested in Uber and OpenTable and eBay and some great consumer and enterprise businesses as well as well as Ajax Health, which is a med tech focused fund. So, you know, really lucky to have the best software investors, uh, as well as the best med tech investors on our cap table as we look to build a med tech software solution of the future. That's a, a great investor pedigree. The uh, QDMD is bringing in a lot of uh, data and, and, and know-how into, into the med tech sales process. How do, you, how do you see this industry sort of changing in the future? You know, Tom, I'm not great at reading the tea leaves, but I do know one thing which is that the pace of med tech innovation is going to continue to increase and more products are going to come on the market that are more innovative than the, than the previous ones. And it has to happen. If there's anything that the last few years has taught us, it's that innovation in the medical technology space needs to keep progressing and we have a lot of work to do. So in that world where thousands of new technologies and products are getting approved, the med tech rep has a really important role to play to getting those technologies out to market efficiently. And med tech sales reps are really great at educating and training surgeons on the latest technologies for their 
procedures. They should be spending all of their time doing that and accelerating access to those technologies. Any time they spend behind a computer entering notes into a legacy CRM or software system or filtering a long Excel sheet is a tax on this mission. And unfortunately, for the longest time, the med tech industry has not been given a specialized software to fit the unique needs and workflows of their reps. And so the reps have been forced to fit these clunky general purpose horizontal software tools that were built for other industries and for other sales processes. And they've been forced to fit these into the extremely nuanced surgical commercial workflow of the med tech industry. So I see a big industry trend towards med tech companies adopting new technology platforms that suit the med tech commercial process in a new way and empower their reps to be more efficient, productive, and successful, really be a force multiplier to help the reps sell and get new technologies out to market more efficiently. Well, thanks, Mike Matavugas, for joining us on the podcast. And thank you to Acuity MD for sponsoring this episode of Medtronic Talks. Once again, if you'd like to find out more information about Acuity MD, go to its website, acuitymd.com. That's A-C-U-I-T-Y-M-D.com. So did you remain in Boulder? Did you, did you travel or, or live in other parts of the world? You know, I stayed in Boulder, but I spent my life on planes. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds wonderful. Yes, <laughs> that sounds great. When you're 27, 28, it's all good. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, it's less exciting now, especially after, uh, after two years of staying put. It's like, oh my gosh, I used to think this was fun. So let's move into the, the Medtronic Labs portion, because I, I, I read an article that you were uh, profiled in recently, and, and I loved you pulled a Mark Twain quote that the, there are two important days in your life, the day you're born and the, and the day you realize why you were born. And you equated that to the opportunity you have at, at Medtronic Labs. Talk a bit about uh, how, we'll, we'll talk about Medtronic Labs in a moment, but I'd love to understand how this opportunity to become president of Medtronic Labs came to you. It really, it's, uh, again, me meddling in a lot of things. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, honestly, you know, Medtronic Labs has been a vision and a passion for I mean, for a few of us at Medtronic, you talked about you don't know about it. A lot of people at Medtronic don't know about it. We call it like the best kept secret in the company. Trying to change that now. But, um, you know, this really started about 10 years ago. I was in my international market development role and focusing on emerging markets and the opportunity there and really just realizing like, you know, I mean, Medtronic's great. The entire medical device industry is great and we make a difference in people's lives. But you know, we touch the top billion, billion and a half people in the world. And even if you exclude the bottom one billion where there's subsistence, food, water issues, there's another five billion that need access to healthcare. And really, that is not the sector that, I mean, that's where government comes in and, you know, NGOs and multilateral organizations are trying to do something. But private sector, for the most part, has been pretty, pretty absent. And, you know, we looked at it and Omar and Jeff at the time really were, I mean, it was literally this conversation, which was, you know, our mission, part of that mission is to bring access to healthcare and technologies to everyone. It mm -hmm. doesn't say alleviate pain, restore health, extend life for rich people who can afford it, but it's for all. So <laughs> how can we use technology to reach and make a difference to improve health outcomes for this low middle income population, which is 
five and a half billion people in the world. It's not a small number. And it started from that. And I was in the business. This was my side, like evening, night, weekend job kind of thing that um, we came up with some ideas that really have grown into something today after all these years, but experimented for years. And, you know, I wasn't the only one. There are lots of people at Medtronic that are passionate about solving these problems. And we tried to bring a lot of those volunteers together. And, you know, one of the hardest things internally to sort out when you try to do work like this without a clear financial ROI tied to it and lots of risk and uncertainty is just, you know, it's hard to do this work in a large corporation and just practically funding in tough quarters and revenue cycles and all of that. It took us a while as a company to create Medtronic Labs as a dedicated organization. It was a journey that we went through. So I had been involved in the precursor of labs and had uh, started uh, one of the programs that is now part of labs. And really, once labs was created, um, I had actually left Medtronic at that time for a couple of years with all the shift happening around that. And then um, labs was set up while I was gone. And when I came back, I was doing international market development. And uh, when Carol Surface um, called me back, I was like, of course, like now the structure is set up. We've got resources. We've learned a lot. Like, of course, I want to take this on. You know, it's like I had been involved with it from the beginning. So it was truly just coming back home and something that we had nurtured for years. Um, And that's why, you know, I also realized at that in the two and a half years I was gone in that take, I could have a normal corporate career and just follow the GM tracks and do all of that. Or I can just build something myself. <laughs> this was the best of both worlds. Like with the support and guidance, like, you know, people like Omar and Jeff and Carol and Karen Surf, uh, Parkhill, they've been involved and passionate about this for years. And to have leaders like that supporting you, to have a structure where you can be innovative and nimble. I mean, we truly operate like a startup. We have a separate legal structure. We we work very differently um, than the rest of the company and have the flexibility to do that. And yet you've got the support and backing and all the expertise of this huge Fortune 50 multinational company doesn't get better than that. And for me, you know, it's um, being from India, having the opportunities I've had, it was just a personal calling in that take. Those of us who've been fortunate um, and have had the platform and the opportunities, like if we don't use that to solve problems for people who need it most, who's going to do it? No, that's a great point. So you sort of laid out a little bit about the structure of, of Medtronic Labs, but let's let's circle yeah. around around that. So this is a quasi-independent entity within Medtronic? Yes. Do you interact with the other business units in any way, or are you, are you totally outward facing? You know, so we have a firewall of sorts mm-hmm. in terms of we operate independently, so we don't coordinate anything with business units. The way we are set up, we cannot drive financial value for Medtronic at all. So we are set up, it's a complex structure of entities with an operating foundation, social business, which is a public benefits corporation that has subsidiaries in the countries that we operate in. And really, it just gives us flexibility to operate outside of the Medtronic PLC structure, Mm -hmm. because of the way it's funded through a nonprofit mechanism, we cannot be tied to 
any financial gain for the corporation. So okay. it truly is, there's no tie-in to any products and it keeps us honest in that like we're focused on impact. Our metrics are around impact and sustainability, but it's not tied to in any indirect way driving Medtronic revenue or any of that. And it just like keeps us pure and focused on the mission. That's great. For underserved communities. <laughs> So, so that that's your structure. What is your mission? I've got the general sense of what of what you're trying to do, but but specifically, what is yeah. how do you how do you intend to make an impact, or how are you making an impact? It's not an intention; you're making an impact. Yeah, you know. So, our mission is to expand access to healthcare for underserved patients and communities around the world. How we're doing it is really by using technology to enable healthcare delivery in these underserved communities. And by technology, it's mostly digital solutions, actually. So there's sort of three core elements that we look at. One is the digital platform. So we've developed what we call the SPICE platform, which is a community-based solution for managing chronic disease patients in the community in low-resource settings and really drive outcomes by linking community workers to health systems. So when you about a clinic in a remote part of, I don't know, outside Nairobi, for example, in Kenya, a community health worker can go door to door in the home of a patient, screen that patient and follow up with that patient for their blood pressure, blood glucose measurements. All of that data gets input and updated into the cloud-based system so that a physician sitting at that clinic, which could be a four-hour walk for that patient, can see that data and be able to do follow-up care as and when necessary and communicate that to the community health worker so the community health worker can then follow up. And nobody needs to walk for four hours back and forth just to get their blood pressure measured. Those are the kinds of things that we are doing. And we've built this platform now and, you know, really started from scratch. I mean, all of the needs, um, understanding the challenges on the ground was all done in Ghana and Kenya by people from Minnesota in some cases where people traveled to all these remote places and they have lots of stories about that. But, you know, starting from those first pilots and studies, we are now, we've got more than 80,000 patients now enrolled on our system in Kenya and Ghana and Tanzania and Sierra Leone. And we're scaling that where it's the power of technology that scales very easily. It's simple applications that we've developed that patients can, uh, that community health workers can use. So the tech part of it is really crucial. The second part of it is our field operations. So we've got teams on the ground. So our people, which is very different than also what other parts of Medtronic do, our people go in and train the health workers, train the staff in these clinics. They will help support screening and referral and all of that stuff on the ground. They will do coaching with patients. We set up patient support groups. So you come to one of these coaching sessions, like under a tent, there's going to be a hundred diabetic and hypertensive patients. And they're learning about healthy foods, exercises, the importance of medication. So we do work like that on a daily basis in some very remote parts of these countries. And then, you know, the third part of this, which is incredibly crucial, also very different than some of the other work that we do in these businesses is um, partnerships because mm -hmm. We're truly partnering with health systems and we're talking, we're working with 
ministries of health with large public health systems in these countries, with faith-based institutions that also run large health systems. Unfortunately, that sometimes those are the best points of care in these places. And then other funders, because it's not just Medtronic, we're working with other funders and really leveraging that to scale this work and multiply the impact. And policymakers and multilateral organizations, WHO, take all, you know, so in each of the countries, there's multiple sets of stakeholders involved. So when you put those three things together, the, the technology, the operations and people on the ground and partners in the healthcare ecosystem, that's how you innovate the future of healthcare delivery. And that's the power that we're really excited about. And one of our first nationwide expansions in Kenya that um, we're embarking on now with the Kenya Ministry of Health, it's happening now. And after all these years of, you know, talking to one patient, going to one clinic and figuring out, okay, how does this work? We're truly seeing that exponential scale being realized. So there's a lot of joy in that. Uh, how did you come up with this, this sort of three pronged plan? Did you, did you at first enter a nation or, or, or a setting and sort of assess where the gaps were? And did you just work to, to fill those gaps and then sort of use that as a model for others? Or how, how did you develop this approach that Medtronic Labs is, is using? Yeah, you know, honestly, it's been an evolution. So some of the elements were always there in that take when we did the needs assessments on the ground and just like went and, you know, it's all human-centered design concepts, like really applying true needs identification, started looking at that. It was pretty obvious that technology is going to have to be a part of it. Smartphone penetration is pretty high. We can leverage that. There's an existing network of community health workers and faith-based hospitals and public hospital systems. If we are going to scale impact, we're going to have to work with them. And, you know, I think we also realized technology alone doesn't solve anything. You still need people in the middle, sure. if, especially if you want to get to outcomes. It's like you can deploy a system and hope that some of it works, but we've held ourselves to a pretty high goal in that like, it's not about just number of people that we screen or enroll, but we actually want to track the outcomes for each patient and get to lives improved, like truly lives improved and monitor their clinical improvement in hypertension or diabetes, which are the two indications that we started out with. And as we expand to other indications as well, always thinking about that end outcome. So really like try, trying to connect the dots all the way for that care pathway. And for that, you need people on the ground because otherwise you're going to lose patients. So I wish I had known all of this stuff the day I started this work uh, years and years ago, but it's been a learning and it continues to evolve. I would have to think when you were, when you were traveling on the plane all those years from Boulder to the rest of the world, you'd be on the ground somewhere, experience how healthcare was delivered there and come back to the US and just see that they're just two completely almost different worlds. And, and right. I mean, I would have to think like there's no lessons that can be applied here versus there. They're, they're just, we're not at the same place right now. Not that what we have here is, is perfect by any means, but did you, you get know, that sense? Really? That's the thought process I had been operating on for 10 plus years. Yeah. Except in the last year or so. <laughs> As we started talking about the work we're doing with labs and, you know, you start to see the impact and the more we shared that, 
well, Jeff has been sharing that with a lot of the U.S. health systems that he went and spoke with. And a lot of those health system leadership were like, well, it's interesting. We have a similar problem in the U.S. Can you guys come and talk to us about what you're doing? That's so, interesting. Yeah. And, you know, you realize like inner cities, in rural areas, it's actually not that different. And we can apply, I mean, not it's not a plug and play, copy paste kind of thing, but we can apply a lot of the same principles where technology and going close to where the patient is, is how you can make sure healthcare delivery happens for patients who get left behind, like the vulnerable populations in the US. So we are just starting that work in the US. Um, we've signed our first partnership a few months ago, and we're hopefully kicking that off soon, the work on the ground. And there's more in the pipeline that we're trying to do really to learn what we can apply and then also innovate around that same concept in the US because it's going to be slightly different here. Uh, so that's, uh, you know, you do realize that as much as we're different, a lot of times the problems are very similar and uh, you can apply lessons really from anywhere. That's with fascinating. Creativity. So in the notes here, I see that you, you last year you announced a partnership with the Cherry Hill Free Clinic in virtual health to help patients manage chronic disease in Southern New Jersey. Is there another, uh, something else you're going to announce along those lines as well? Yeah, we're going to do a few of them this year, for sure. We're just getting started on that. And really, yeah, there's been a lot of interest in the US on this work, more than I can handle right now, but we're trying to make it work. And you're absolutely right. I mean, just uh, I know my in-laws live up in Maine and they live in a sizable city that has seen their hospital almost nearly close. And maybe it's not four hours, but it might be two hours to a, which is still a very long time for a drive for someone to see a doctor every week or twice a week or whatever's necessary. We have a few more resources in the U.S. with uh, technology and uh, just affordability. And I think we can do it here for sure. If we in Africa, we can do it here. Absolutely. Absolutely. So what are your objectives and what is Medtronic Labs look like in a few years? I mean, again, it, just to recap, it sounds like your, your core offerings are, are the technology communication connections that you have and, and the, the people you have on the ground in these countries. Do you evolve? Where do you evolve from there? We talk about this a lot. We have very bold aspirations. Um, Good. You know, as, Part of, I mean, you know, when you look at um, the sustainable development goals around the world, um, non-communicable diseases, and uh, and we're learning actually non-communicable diseases are not that dissimilar or disconnected from communicable diseases, as we realized in COVID. Our goal is to essentially move the needle on the burden of disease and death mortality from these um, non-communicable and communicable diseases in low-income, low-resource settings. So that's what that's what we're aspiring to do. How we do it is, you know, I think the goal is to get to 10 to 15 countries where we work at a national scale with ministries of health and large faith-based systems that cater to the bulk of the population and deploy these systems, uh, the solutions with both the field operations as well as the technology to truly move healthcare delivery outside of the hospital and the clinic into the community because primary care is missing and we're never going to have enough doctors and we're never going to have enough infrastructure to support that technology is the solution for that we're going to leapfrog that so 
when we start to, we're on that journey with Kenya, there is a couple other countries that are not far behind. And uh, I think if we can get to 10 to 15 countries in the next seven, eight years, we will move the needle on the burden of disease um, from NCDs. And that's really our focus and the big, hairy, audacious goal that we're going for. And technology is going to make that happen. So that's the plan. That's great. And, and, and I just wanted to share this fact that was in this sheet that was provided. So to your point, it said in these countries, two-thirds of all deaths are due to non-communicable diseases like hypertension and diabetes, yet only 1% of healthcare spending goes toward treating those diseases, which is absolutely astounding, unbelievable. Yeah. And it's only rising, unfortunately, the burden in mortality because of this epidemiological shift. You know, It's like with urbanization and standard of living improvement, we're not dying from TB and malaria. We're dying from diabetes at 45, uh, which is a huge problem. And you mentioned a moment ago, COVID. There's obviously disparity between uh, vaccines in, in US and, and other Western nations and other parts of the world. How is, has that changed the landscape at all for you? What are you, what are you seeing on, on, in your two worlds? Yeah, um, you know, I think, I mean, COVID has exposed the disparities in healthcare dramatically. Yeah. And majority of the deaths related to COVID were in these countries were in patients with comorbid conditions like hypertension and diabetes. And I think it has increased the realization in the healthcare ecosystem that we need to take care of these patients with the rising burden of patients living with these conditions whether it's COVID or whether it's dialysis and stroke, like the burden, it's like the countries just can't manage it. So I think as much as, um, I mean, there's just a growing realization that resources have to be dedicated to this, that this is important for the countries. So there is a renewed uh, sort of passion to, to address that in these countries and willingness to partner. I think everybody's also realizing innovation and technology is going to be the solution to this and that private sector can play a role and that, uh, yeah, I think with COVID, the innovation on the private sector side definitely improved trust that companies uh, stepped up and uh, we did too. And I think there's just more willingness to work together. So that's been good. You know, we can do this alone, whether and Medtronic, Medtronic Labs, we're also looking to partner with others in the private sector. We already are with other pharma companies and tech companies and the public sector, as well as the civil sector, because it all has to come together to solve the system-wide problems. So I think there's just more willingness to work together post-COVID. You anticipated my question, because obviously health equity has become a very important talking point in this country the last couple of years, particularly since the, the murder of George Floyd, but everything that's followed that. And this is just a glaring example of how you can address that. So are you, you are working with other companies and other industries, and are you working to encourage others to maybe if not work with you, create their own programs that could address another issue or another problem? You know, my focus right now is on addressing non-communicable diseases. <laughs> Am I asking too much? <laughs> it's, uh, I think if we could get to, uh, you know, these 10 plus countries, and just really move the needle on primary care and non-communicable diseases, 
There's a lot of other things we can layer on. We're doing some like small things in some of the places where you know, there's issues like food security and employment, and it all ties in with health outcomes. So we're doing some small things there. We'll see how all of that plays out, but um, got to focus and move the needle in some big ways. That's great. Well, uh, this has been a wonderful conversation. You're, you're clearly where you belong. Thank you for doing all the work that you're doing. Thank you. It's great chatting with you, Tom. Thanks. All right, well, that is a wrap. Thanks so much for joining us on this episode of Medtronic Talks. Thanks, of course, to Acuity MD for sponsoring and for Rashika Singal for making herself available for what I thought was a, a terrific conversation. If you'd like to uh, find more episodes of Medtronic Talks, you can go to Medtronic.com. You can go to DeviceTalks.com. You can, of course, please do subscribe to the Medtronic Talks podcast on every major podcast application. It's out there. Medtronic Talks has its own channel. So uh, please follow, like, or subscribe right away so you don't miss a future episode of Medtronic Talks. And you can listen to all the past episodes. This is season two. Please connect with me on social media. My name is Tom Salemi. I am editorial director of Device Talks. You can find me on LinkedIn at Tom Salemi. You can find me on Twitter. I am at MedTechTom. And I've uh, reactivated my Instagram account. I'm MedTechTom there as well. So you can find me almost anywhere. Please reach out. It would be great to connect with you. And we'd love to have you share this episode of Medtronic Talks. We'd love to uh, get the word out about Medtronic Labs. So that's it. Please tune in next time. We'll have another great episode of the Medtronic Talks podcast waiting for you. <laughs>